A really interesting study found people have never been more afraid to speak their mind than now. A new study by Crucial Learning, a learning company with courses in communication, performance, and leadership, found that 9 out of 10 people have felt emotionally or physically unsafe to speak their mind more than once in the past 18 months. You can probably guess the conversation topics that generated the most fear. They include political and social issues, which both came in at 74%, and COVID-19 issues at 7%. How serious a problem is this? Well, you can see how people are treating one another these days. But that aside, 47% reported avoiding people, while 14% said they have severed a relationship because of this. I thought the study was really interesting. To talk about it, we're joined by Emily Gregory. She is the co-author of the study and the chief growth officer at Crucial Learning. And in a small world, she previously did some work in London at St. Joe's Hospital a little over 10 years ago. So that's pretty cool. Emily, appreciate the time today. Thanks so much, Devin. I'm excited to be here. Well, I thought this study was really interesting. I mean, lots of parts of it kind of... uh, uh, jumped out at me. One first aspect was just the sheer number of people that are afraid to speak their mind. Did that surprise you? It did, actually. I mean, it's it's fairly, I thought it was fairly overwhelming to get to a place where you're saying nine out of 10 people. I mean, that's it virtually feels like everyone has at some point over the last 18 months felt emotionally or physically unsafe to speak up. Now, I'll tell you, I mean, we've been studying people's behavior for 30 years, and there's always been some level of fear. But I would say, I think the um, some of the changes that are happening in the last 18 months have really intensified things for people. Why are people so hesitant to speak their mind? When I first saw this without reading it through, I thought, okay, well, maybe people are worried about being canceled because that's, you know, some irrational fear people have these days. But that doesn't seem to be quite it. Yeah, it's not. It's, uh, you know, there's a really interesting thing here. We, we also ask people about, like, what topics they were afraid to speak up. And, and you read the list and it's like political and social issues and COVID and um, varying views on racism or discrimination. And, and you kind of read the list and say, well, yeah, duh. I mean, that's <laughs> there's nothing very unique or interesting there. But here's the thing, and it'll take me just a minute to explain, but one of the factors that we tried to understand that differentiated people who were fearful from people who weren't. And, and it's really interesting. We, we based it off of uh, a study done years and years ago by a man named Fred Fiedler called the least preferred coworker scale. And here's what was interesting. He went in and he asked people, pick your least preferred coworker, that person you really don't want to work with. And then he would ask them to rate them on a different scale. Do you see them as open-minded or closed-minded? Do you see them as caring or self-centered, trustworthy, untrustworthy, things like that. So he gets all these people to rate their like, ugh, least preferred coworker. And then he has them write down that person's name and he tabulates all the data. And what's so interesting that he finds from this is that the the harsher you are in your judgment of your least preferred coworker, the more likely you are to be identified by others as their least preferred coworker, hmm. right? So it turns out that this study was actually about ourselves and that the harsher judgments we make um, reflect more about us than they do about the people we're judging. Okay, so fast forward now to our study. And we were wondering is, 
are the stories we tell about people, are the judgments we make about the person we're talking to, is that one of the things that's differentiating whether we're scared or not? Really, it's the question of what creates the fear, the reality or the stories. And what we found is that those who tended to tell really extreme stories about those they had to confront, right? Like they're an idiot, they don't know anything, they're horrible. They were three times more likely to fear to fear, fearful, to be fearful, and three and a half times more likely to lack confidence. So the interesting thing was, is that yes, there's scary things in the world and there are judgmental and and harsh and, and tough people we have to deal with. I don't want to take away from that. But what our research found was that the way we think about those people is one of the biggest predictors of how much fear we take into the conversation. It, it's, it feels like it's, you know, uh, a, a, a loop here where we, we you fall into the loop and I don't know, I don't know how you get out of the loop because we're, we're fearful. We have these feelings and then it's just like it just keeps repeating. And I don't know how you, you stop that wheel from rolling. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, oh, my gosh, it's so true, Devin. I talk about it as being not so much a loop, but it feels like this this awful downward Viral, right? Like it's just sucking us down. And, and one of the things that we found is that in the absence of dialogue, right, in the absence of conversation and communication, people make it up and usually in the worst possible way, right? If we're not talking, I'm just constantly telling myself stories about you. So what happens is, and this is how this, this spiral or loop, as you call it, works, is you and I disagree about something and then I make a judgment about you. And because of my judgment, I'm probably less likely to talk to you. And because the less we talk, the more I tend to solidify my judgment. And the harsher I judge, the less we talk. <laughs> and that's where it just starts spiraling down. And counterintuitively, I think that the answer is we have to start getting closer to each other. We let our disagreements and our judgments pull us away. And we, we have so many ways now that we can sort ourselves and, and really segregate ourselves. I don't have to follow you on my social media feed. I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to be in the same groups as you do. I can segregate myself out to be surrounded by like-minded people. And that's what's just, it's driving us further and further apart. And so the, again, kind of counterintuitively, the way to overcome our fear is to actually lean into it, right? To lean closer to that other person and start having some of these really tough conversations. Well, it's interesting. It, it feels as though people treat conversations these days as though it's a game. There has to be, when when we finish talking, there has to be a winner. Mm -hmm. There has to be a loser. If I haven't convinced you or you haven't convinced me, you know, I'm an idiot. You're an idiot. We're both idiots. You know, it's, it's almost like conversation should be just from, from having this conversation here feels like one of those long term chess matches where you're just going back and forth and you're, you're playing chess, but it's like it's male chess and it's you have to wait three weeks to before you can you know, make your next move. And it's it's a game, yes, but the the resolution, you know, you know, may not come for a long time. We don't have to end the conversation, mm -hmm. you know, with one of us, you know, being the victor, so to speak. Yes. Oh, I love that, Devin. I think that's exactly 
on point that it it isn't about a battle or something that you need to win. You don't win a conversation, right? And one of the things that when in our research, we looked at people, we looked at the positive deviance, right? The, the people who said, actually, like the 7% who said, I don't feel more fear. I, I feel fine going into these conversations. I have a high degree of confidence. And, and we asked them, you know, questions to understand what they took to those conversations. And one of the very top things that they said, 72% of them said, being curious, having a sense of curiosity, rather than trying to decide who's right, I actually just really want to understand where the other person's coming from. And I think that's one of the things that that, um, often when we get in that moment of, I'm trying to win the conversation and you're trying to win and we have to end it with someone winning, right? It's, It's because we've lost that sense of curiosity, that sense of, I'd like to understand, like, your point of view is so different than mine. And rather than my goal being to try and get you to admit that you're wrong and that I'm right, I need to come into it and say, what what experiences, what life experiences brought you to the point where you believe that, where you think that? Like, I want to be curious about that. It's also interesting in that, you know, one of my, you know, thoughts has been, because I'm, I'm always interested in, in stuff like this, and I sometimes on air use the comparison of, you know, when, you know, dinner parties that always used to be, you never talk politics, you don't talk religion, you don't, you you try and stay away from that stuff. And that's still true to, you know, a degree, but also this kind of suggests, you know, we can't just ignore, you know, religion and politics, so to speak, to keep that analogy, because we need to have those conversations. And if we're not having the conversations, then we're, we're not necessarily moving in the right direction. Yeah, I, I mean, it's such a it's such a balance to walk, right? I've certainly been at enough, you know, cocktail parties where I've made the decision not to, you know, not to yeah. delve into something that really tends with someone, right? And and there's some judgment, but I think what it it comes down to is if if the relationship is important to you, if this person is important to you, right? Don't we want to get to that place where we can we can talk? I mean, I, it's so heartbreaking to me when I hear people and they write in and talk to us about like. Oh, I I haven't, you know, talked to a family member for a decade or so. Like we are we are isolating ourselves from some of the people that matter most just because they think differently than we do. And and I find that really heartbreaking. I, I think there is a place for for boundaries in our relationships and, and that's important. But I also think we need to get to a place where we can say, I can think differently about you and still care about you and still connect with you. And we can talk respectfully and candidly to one another. Um, because I think when we, when we lose that, what, again, what happens is we just pull further away from one another uh, and that entrenches our point of view um, rather than nuancing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, looking at some of the responses, what people have said, you know, they severed relationships. They've, uh, they avoid yeah. people. That's, I mean, to, to sever a relationship is, you know, that's, that's tragic. It is. It really is. I mean, just think about the, the families and the communities and the neighborhoods and the, and the ripple effect that comes out of that. And, and that's really where our work has been for the last 30 years. It's really about saying, how do we help people in, in improve their results and their relationships, right? Like that's what we want to do is, is help people, whether it's a relationship I have with my boss at work, which is an important relationship, maybe not quite as emotionally charged as some others, but right, nonetheless, a very key <laughs> relationship for my quality of life, or it's with my partner at home, right? How do I how do I show up as authentically me, but also in a way that's really strengthening those relationships? 
Well, I hope this conversation helps other people have better conversations because I've uh, really enjoyed it. Emily, uh, I appreciate the time today. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Devin. It was great to be with you. That's Emily Gregory, co-author of the study and chief growth officer at Crucial Learning.